Welcome to the Beyond Your Money podcast with Mike Dukovich, financial advisor and retirement income certified professional with RBC Wealth Management. Join us as we share the tools and insight that can help you take control of your money and your life. Because we believe life's greatest returns are realized when you invest beyond your money. And welcome to the Beyond Your Money podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Mike Dukovich. I'm a financial advisor, a retirement income certified professional, a certified plan fiduciary advisor, and an associate vice president with RBC Wealth Management. For those of you who've tuned in before, welcome back. And for anyone that's listening for the first time, this podcast is designed to help you take control. And we'll do that by not only discussing a financial topic that is timely and relevant and hopefully applicable to your own financial plan, but we'll also discuss an important topic that goes beyond your money. And on today's Beyond Your Money episode, I'm bringing friend of the show, Patrice Sikora, back to the podcast to have a conversation that I think will benefit everyone that's listening. Patrice, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Mike. So Patrice, we've talked about this before, and I get asked about this type of thing all the time. But what I would like to talk about with you today are, are some of the, what I'll call the universal truths in wealth management. Okay. So also often, as you know, the discussions that I have with my clients and prospects and on the podcasts are very personalized or, or specific to a particular situation, right? You'll hear catchphrases in our industry all the time about customized, a customized plan or an individualized plan that's custom tailored or custom built. It's, it's all specific to, to one individual or couple or family or plan. And, and as a result, you'll always hear the disclosures about there's no guarantees and, right. and you, you must consult with an advisor before making any changes to your own situation. And listen, those are all valid and just. I do feel that there are some pieces of advice that I can give to people that are universal. And, and I know compliance is rolling out of their chair right now, but <laughs> there are some things out there, believe it or not, that everyone can learn from. And, and, and I'm excited because everyone that's listening is going to benefit from hearing it. And, and that's what I want to talk about today. Great. Let's do it. Let's do it. What do you okay. want to start with? So first and foremost, the first, I'll call it the universal truth in wealth management. It's, it's important to save. Oh, and American, but Americans don't do that. And, and you're, you're right, Patrice. Americans are notorious for not save it, saving enough money right? The, the average balance right now in qualified retirement plans, so that's things like 401ks, IRAs, 403bs, the average balance is right around $100,000. That's not much, Mike. It, it's not. It's barely anything if you think about it. So hypothetically, let's say you're, you're the average and, and you're 65, 66, getting ready to retire, and you only have $100,000 in your nest egg. Well, if you use the, the rule of four, where hypothetically, if you have a, a diversified portfolio, mm -hmm. you can take out a 4% annual withdrawal rate indexed for inflation and, and theoretically never run out of money. Well, if you only have $100,000, 4% is $4,000. It's, it's hardly anything, right? And so it's a scary thought. It's a scary thought to, to, to look at when we see that the average American has $100,000 at retirement. It's just, it's not good. So the universal truth is you have to save. You have to start early and you have to save everything that you possibly can. Do people realize that they don't have enough? They aren't saving enough? 
Oh, that's another big issue is with regards to retirement savings, people don't really understand what they have. And, and, and there's a great, there's a great, they call it the financial security survey. It's done every year by Bankrate. And they ask people, do you think you're ahead of where you should be? Or are you behind where you should be? Or are you right on track? And here's, here, here's the result from the 2019 survey. So 52% of surveyors respond that they were behind in their retirement savings. They knew that they were behind 52%. 16% thought that they were on track. 11% thought that they were doing well, that they were ahead. Now here's the thing that scares me 20%. So a fifth of those that were surveyed, they had no clue. They didn't know if they were on track behind right where they should be. That's the scary part. That's the segment of the population that I worry about. You know, if you have no clue what's going on, that's an issue. But also that 52%, that's disturbing as well. You know you're behind. Are you doing anything about it? That's the thing. And, and I get it. A lot of people have income issues where you're, you're paycheck to paycheck and, and you're just trying to make ends meet. And I get that. You got to find a way to scrap some dollars away early and invest it and, and just save for that retirement because no one else is. You know, Social Security is there right now. Who knows what it looks like when you actually retire? And in Social Security, we're going to talk about this a little bit later. Social Security was never meant to be mm-hmm. your entire retirement income plan. It was meant to supplement it. When we look at Social Security for a client, we're we're looking for that benefit to to make up roughly twenty to thirty percent of a retirement income plan. Wow! So you know, seventy percent is on you. Well, then that means you really should be saving as soon as you can, saving early. That's one of the big things to think about. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and describe a, a chart here verbally, right, which can be difficult. <laughs> but here's the thing. The point of this chart is saving early is more important than saving more, okay? And, and what I mean by that is you really want to have the ability to let your money grow and, and compound, that compounding growth over time really takes hold. And, and so here's, I'm looking at a chart, I'm going to describe it for the listeners, but think of, think of basically two lines, okay? The first line, we're going to call it the early saver. And that early saver is going to save $10,000 a year from age 25 to 40, okay? So that's mm-hmm. 15 years of saving, $10,000 a year, that's $150,000, by the time they reach age 65, that 150000 can grow to over a million dollars, which okay, is using- that's my which plan. Is you, that's it, right? <laughs> as soon as everyone hears that million dollar mark, that's it. It's that mm-hmm. easy. 150000 early, let it work to 65, you're over a million using just the, the average returns of the market. Let's just say you don't get around to it though. Let's say you're late to the game and you start at age 35. So just 10 years later but you're trying to catch up. So you're going to put it in for twice as long. Instead of 15 years, you're going in for 30. So your $10,000 times 30 years, obviously that's $300,000 investment, twice as much as the first one. Your money only grows to just over $800,000 by the time you're 65. And that's all because of compounding. Compounding. If you get your money in early, it starts making growth and interest. And then that interest starts making growth and interest. And that compounding effect is so powerful. So again, it's better to save early than it is to save more later. That's the bottom line. You got to get that compounding effect to take place. People don't know this. 
it's they, they it's, it's counterintuitive, really, if you think about it. Mm -hmm. If I'm only going to save 150 and you're going to save 300,000, who should end up with more at the end? True, true. Right? But if, if, if you get that money in and you get it working, and that's the key point, you have to get it working. You know, a lot of people just kind of stash it or keep it in the savings account or in a yeah. CD or something like that. And as we've talked about right now, and for a long time, we've been in a very low interest rate environment. Those safe haven assets are just not making any money. I call it the dead money zone, right? And, and so you, you got to get this money working in order for that compounding effect to really take, take hold. One other thing that I see on your list here that, that would be working for you is employer matches if you have a retirement plan. Tell me yeah, about so qualified retirement plans, like 401ks or simple IRAs or, or SEP IRAs, things like that, 403Bs, those are important, right? Because every dollar that you put in grows tax deferred. So that's just a little more juice on your, on your investment over time. But also a lot of those plans, to your point, offer some sort of match or some sort of employer contribution. And if you think about those, that's free money. Yeah. And a lot of young professionals or, or I'll call it first time investors that they come out into their, into the working world and they get their first job and they're signing up for the first 401k and trying to figure out what to do. And they might be paying rent and paying off student debt. They might not have a lot of discretionary dollars. And they look at this 401k thing and they say, well, should I put money into this? I barely can go out on Saturday. If they don't put at least the minimum in, to capture their full employer match, they're leaving free money out on the table. And not only that, if it comes right out of your paycheck, you don't miss it. You don't see it to begin with. So you're not missing it. You're exactly right. If it's never hitting your checking account, you're not going to worry about it. You're going to work your budget around what's in there. And, and so out of sight, out of mind is a really good way of kind of systematic investing, especially when you're starting out. Now, if you, if you start at 10% and you, you recognize after a month or two that you're eating ramen noodles every night, <laughs> you may want to drop it back a little bit. But what I always tell people, and here's a universal truth, is, is that you want to put in at least the bare minimum, whatever that is that you need to put in of your own money to capture the full employer match. You got to do that. It's free money. Yeah. And you mentioned too, investing, getting a return on your money, not cash. Yeah, cash right now, you know, unless something dramatically changes with the interest rate environment, and I, I really, I don't see that happening for quite a while. It's been like this for a while, I think, with the amount of debt that's out there and that we're adding to seemingly on a, on a monthly basis, you're not going to see cash with any real returns that are useful. And so this money has to be invested. It has to be into something that is going to grow for you. One last thing, Patrice, about, about the, the qualified plans. A lot of young professionals or first-time investors, there's a, there's a feature on a lot of these 401ks I want to bring up. It's pretty important, pretty powerful. And a lot of 401ks are now offering it. It's kind of this a newer thing that really is powerful. It's called auto escalation. And you got to check with your plan. Every plan's different. Some plans actually default you into this. But what that is, is that every year, like on the annual renewal or on your anniversary, they will automatically increase your contribution by a percent, let's say, Oh, without oh. you doing it, without you calling them, without you telling HR to increase your contributions, they'll just automatically do it. It's called auto escalation. That would and be great because again, you wouldn't, you wouldn't miss it. You, you, you don't miss that extra 1%, right? It's, it's a negligible amount compared to what you were putting in, right. but 
without you even thinking about it over a couple of years, you could be putting in seven, eight, nine, 10%. And, and that again, it snowballs that compounding effect takes place. And it's, it's very powerful. That's an awesome option. I had not heard about that one. Yeah, it's a good one. It's, it's been around for a while, but plans had to basically check that box that they wanted that feature. I'm seeing more and more plans though that have it. So it's, it's a good thing to take advantage of if you have it. Now you mentioned earlier, knowing what you've got and knowing what you're spending, you're talking budget here. How many people really have a budget? I wish I had that study, man. If I, if I really had to, if you had a gun to my head and said, how many people have a budget, I would say it's less than 10%. You know, and you if can I, have if a I budget guess. and you can have a budget, but do you stick to it? That's a, that's the other thing, right? No one really likes budgeting. No one wants to be forced to stay within the certain silos that they, they kind of line up for themselves. And when I say you need to have a budget as a universal truth, you don't necessarily need to know, okay, I can only spend $1,000 on, on mortgage and 500 on food and, and 200 on cable. And, and you don't necessarily need to get that specific. You, you need to know what you're making and what you're spending. And that's what I really mean by budget is you want to know what your financial picture looks like. Mm-hmm. And so when, when I'm talking about budget with clients, I do have some people that really want to get down and dirty and, and get the spreadsheets out and really find out where every penny is going. And that's fine. You can do it that way. What I typically see though, it, for, for most people is you want to have kind of this idea. And I, I use what's called the 50, 30, 20 rule, 50, 30, 20, mm-hmm. where your, your income comes in and that's your total income. That's your income after taxes that your spouse or your partner's income after taxes any other income sources like rental income or side hustles or alimony or child support, things like that, all of your income, 50% of that is probably going to go towards what I call your needs. Okay. That's the spending on things that you, you have to have. Okay. That's rent or mortgage payments. That's utilities, insurance, groceries, childcare, internet, that's also your debt payments, your minimum, you know, credit card payments, your student right. loan payments, your car payments, that's taxes, right? So if you look at your income, you got to figure that roughly 50% of that's going to go towards things that you, you need, you can't live without. Wow. Now, 30%, the next bucket, we'll call it, that goes towards your wants. Now, these are things that you, you, you like to have, but you don't necessarily need to live with, right? Or, or you, you can live without them, I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll say. And that's like cable TV, that's hobbies, vacations, that's dining out, that's going to the movies, going to the gym, that sort of thing. These are, these are what I can consider non-essential. So you figure out of your budget, about 30% of your income goes towards that. And then that last bucket, that 20% bucket of your budget, that's what I call your, your save, your invest, your future bucket. And that's, that's the money that you should be either putting away for retirement or for a big purchase down the line. That's the money you should be investing. That's your emergency bucket that you have on the sideline. We'll talk about that in a minute. That's extra debt payments. So we've talked about that a number of times. We might as well dive right in here on debt payment. One of the universal truths out there is is you got to figure out the difference between good debt and bad debt and how to manage it effectively. And, and as you know, we've talked about this in the past, Patrice, you're not getting educated on this. You're, you're not learning this in high school or college. It, it really has to come from someone that teaches you or, or you just learn on your own. And the difference between good debt and bad debt is, is this. In the current interest rate environment that we're in, again, very low, any debt payment that you have that is in that, 
I'll call it five to 6% range or less, I put in the good debt bucket. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's debt that you can maintain, that you can keep, that you can basically pay the minimums on and, and not worry about it. Okay. The next bucket that's in that, I'll call it the seven to 8% range. That's, that's kind of like your marginal bu- debt bucket. You know, I could go either way with that, but yeah. more importantly, that nine plus bucket. Now these would be things like consumer loans, uh, credit cards, credit are, cards are, are way above 9%. Oh yeah. You can yeah. see credit cards that are 15, 20, 25, yeah. 30%, right? <laughs> that is bad debt. That's crippling debt. <laughs> really. Yes. Right. And so when, when I'm working with a client who has a discretionary dollar that they could theoretically put towards an investment or put towards paying off debt, the first question I ask is, let's look at your debt. Do we have good debt? Don't worry about that. Pay the minimum. Your dollar is better off invested for the mm-hmm. long term. Because if you think about it logically, that dollar invested long term should make over time on average, hypothetically, right, seven to 8% a year. Okay. Whereas you're only paying three and a half percent on your mortgage, hypothetically, right? Mm-hmm. So your dollar's making seven in the market, let's say you're you're paying three and a half in debt, you're still netting three and a half percent positive return. Mm-hmm. So keep your good debt. It's it's not I know everyone's allergic to debt, but and, and, and just they don't like the word debt, but your dollar is gonna make more money for you over time if it's invested. And and here's the other kicker with that. If you invest that dollar over time and make your seven and a half, eight percent average return, 10 years down the line, whatever it happens to be, if you wake up and you just can't stomach the idea of having a mortgage payment anymore and you got to pay off that three and a half percent debt, you can do that. You can sell your investment and pay off that mortgage payment. You can play your card later, I call it. Whereas if you take your extra dollar at the beginning of this and, and pay off the debt, and wake up 10 years down the line in a cold sweat and you wish you had invested it, well, you can't play that card later. That's right. You've got nothing there. Nothing there. So keep your good debt, put that extra dollar you have towards an investment if you have good debt. However, if you have bad debt, that crippling credit card debt, you need to pay that off because your discretionary dollar going to pay that debt is theoretically making 15, 20, 25%, whatever the credit card payment is, whereas you're not going to get that in the market. So if you have that kind of debt, unfortunately, you got to put all of your efforts to, to paying that off as quickly as you can. And you snowball it. You pay the top yeah. or the highest interest rate first. Then once that's paid off, you put everything you were putting towards that first highest interest rate and you put it towards the next one. And, and then once that's paid off, you put all of that money towards the third one and you kind of snowball downwards. And don't be paying the minimum on that bad debt. You have to pay the minimum on all your debt, obviously. Right, right. right but right. on the bad debt, you want to pay that off as quickly as you can. Put whatever you can towards that. You know, a good way of rationalizing that is your dollars making 25%, right? That's a good way of just kind of internalizing that. I like so it. knowing what debt is, knowing how to use it, knowing that there's differences between debt, you know, that's, that's a universal truth. How much money are you really going to need in retirement? How much of your current income? Yeah, that's a great question. I get that asked all the time. Kind of a universal truth that, I, that I'll talk about here is you want to have an idea of what you're going to need in yeah. retirement. I used to laugh at the commercials that you used to see where people used to carry around like a number on their shoulder. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, your neighbor had a million on his shoulder and the other neighbor had 250,000. I mean, no one, there's not a universal number that you're going to need. It really boils down to your spending and your budget but you need to know, you need to know what that number is. And so what, what I tell people 
And again, this kind of varies by individuals and couples, but usually you can kind of estimate that you need anywhere between 60 and 90% of your, of your current income. Now that's a big gap, yeah. right? So I always like to err on the side of being conservative and being cautious and, and having more, right? So I, you know, let's say 90% of your current income. Wow. Okay. Now that could be a lot. So yeah. let's just, let's just say your combined income is a hundred thousand dollars. We'll keep the math easy. That means that in retirement, you could expect to spend roughly $90,000 if you're using that figure. So you got to figure out how to get that. Okay. Another way of doing this is people are getting into that retirement red zone. When we start looking at retirement income plans and, and preparing for that, I'll, I'll ask them to do kind of what I call a test run. And, and this is well before they retire. This is usually around, let's say 60. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'll ask them to basically on January 1st, just keep track of what they're spending and come up with a guess on what you are going to spend for the year and what you're going to need in retirement. And if let's say you're making a hundred thousand dollars and you, you estimate that I'm going to need 90 in retirement. Well, during that test run, during that year, see if you can live off of 90,000. I like it. I and like if you, if you can, maybe that's your, maybe that's your number. But if you realize that you come October, November, things are, you're nowhere near 90, you're at hundred, you're at 120, you're overspending, then you need to overestimate your retirement income needs. Or find some other income. Or find some other income or work longer. You know, I've seen a lot of clients have great success with, we'll call it retiring from their day job, but then picking up another side hustle or, or a retirement mm -hmm. job. I have a lot of clients that work at the golf course or the local YMCA or Lowe's or, yeah. or Home Depot, things like that. It's, it's a great way of generating a little extra income. It's not going to pay for all the bills, but it's going to pay for your phone bill or something like that. It gets you out. It gets you socializing. It's, it's good for your health. It's good for your mental capacity. So it's good for a lot of reasons. So people that come to me and say, I'm looking to retire, but I'll, I'll do something. That's great because that really helps the retirement income plan. And you're right. The socialization is so important too. You're out in the public, you're meeting people, you're challenging your brain. Without a doubt. I mean, there's great studies that show if you keep your brain occupied, your body kind of yes. stays along with it. They're one of my favorite studies with, with long-term care patients or people that are in nursing facilities. Those that had a house plant, I'm going to screw this study up a little bit. So don't, don't <laughs> okay. hold me to it right? But don't let uh, the truth get in the way of a good story, right? The, the patients that had a house plant to keep care of in their, in their room, and that's literally just water and sunlight, not doing too much with a house plant. The people that had a house plant actually lived longer than those that didn't. And, and it's just that- It makes sense. They've got a responsibility. They, they can't- the responsibility. Yes. They yep. can't let that plant die. No. Yep. They, they have to wake up. They have to do something. Something yes. is, it's, it's waiting for them to help and so that responsibility, that yeah. sense of obligation, that's what keeps your brain going and it keeps your body going as well. Love now, that. one last thing before we go into to one of my other favorites here. <laughs> In retirement, a lot of people have this misconception that if you need that $90,000 mark, let's say, that you're going to need that through retirement. And that's usually not the case. And, and I, I usually talk about the three phases of retirement. I, I call it the go-go, the, the slow-go, and the no-go. Okay. And, and usually right. in that first 10 years of retirement, that's when you're doing everything that you ever dreamed of. That's when you're traveling and buying things and, and going to see the grandkids and going on trips. And, and that's when you're really spending the, the most money in mm -hmm. retirement. 
Eventually though, as you get older, you're going to get into that slow go phase where you're not traveling as much. Maybe you're not going to see the grandkids as much. You're not spending as much. You're not golfing or fishing as much. And so the spending actually comes down. And then in that last phase of retirement for everyone, what's coming for everyone, you're going to slow down. You're, you're just not going to travel at all. You're, you're going to stay in. You're going to do what you, you know, can do. And that's usually less. And, and so the spending tends to decrease. Now, the issue though, is at that stage, usually the medical expenses start to increase. Right. And so with retirement, those three phases, it's a fluid changing budget. So you want to kind of account for that. This is not set it and forget it. One, I'll I'll throw in this universal truth. There is no set it and forget it in our industry. That just doesn't work. So you constantly have to readjust the plan and look at things and, and make adjustments as necessary over time. All right. Now, the next point here is something that I love too. You've mentioned this a number of times and it makes me laugh every time. May I say it, please? Absolutely. Go ahead. Beware of the brother-in-law. <laughs> and this, I, I know you like it. A lot of people do. This is something I, I will take credit for. I don't, I, I try to consider myself a humble person, but this is something I came up with one day and it just makes absolute sense. And oh, yeah. this is a universal truth without a doubt. I know I've explained it before, but it's worth explaining again. When I say beware of the brother-in-law, you're, you're probably you know wondering what the heck does that mean? But you have this person in your life. It might not necessarily be the literal brother-in-law. It might be your colleague at work. It might be your neighbor. It might be your father-in-law. It might be the mailman, right? There's someone in your life that just insists on telling you what you should do with your financial situation. And I'm here to tell you, you can't listen to it. It's <laughs> dangerous advice. Okay. And, and here's why there's really two main reasons. The first reason is Many times in my experience, I have found that that brother-in-law person really doesn't even know what they did, right? And so they're, they're telling you, I did this. I invested in this. You should put your money here. You should take social security now. You should do this with your pension. Well, as they're telling you this stuff, I have found that more often than not, they're giving you information that they didn't even follow. Really? They, They don't even know what they did to accurately describe it to you. So that's one issue we have with that. The second issue on that side of it is, is who knows if that was the right thing for them to do. Hmm. A lot of people make decisions just because other people, other brother-in-laws told them that that's what they did. And so that they feel like they're going to jump on the train and that's right for everyone. And that's not the case. Number one, they don't know what they did more than likely. Number two, they don't, who knows if they did the right thing. And then the other issue that no one knows, they don't know your situation. Right. Right. And, and they don't know what your income needs are. They don't know what your debt looks like. They don't know what your family situation or your health situation is. And so how can the brother-in-law realistically give you legitimate financial advice? They just can't. Right. Right. And so most of the time, this is in good, in good faith and, and they want to help you and they want to they see you succeed. I'm not saying that people are out just to get you. But they're they're actually bragging most of the time anyway. It's it's confirmation bias. I know we talked about that on one of our other podcasts, but they're going to tell you what they did because that confirms that they made the right decision. And so it makes them feel better. Exactly. Tell you what they did. And and, uh, 
it can be flawed for so many different reasons. So when I get advice from people and, and I get advice, right? They know what I do and, and I get stock advice and I get advice on these buzzword investments and strategies that are out there that are all over the news. And I just put money into this and made a bazillion dollars. Well, okay, fair enough. I, I kind of just say, good for you and, and kind of <laughs> nod and I'm on my way, but I will never make financial decisions based off of the brother-in-law. And, and so we'll leave it at that. Don't, don't take that advice from that brother-in-law, from that mailman, from that person that doesn't know what they're talking about. It's just but not be polite good. about it, right? Be polite. Yeah, absolutely. Be <laughs> polite. You know, you can appreciate what they're trying to do, but don't go and change your 401k allocation to try and keep up with them. It just it doesn't work out all the time. Patrice, as I'm looking at my, my list here, I, we're about halfway through. And so what I would like to do if you're okay with it, let's pause. Let's uh, wrap this podcast up and we'll do uh, the second half and, and maybe even a third in a second edition of, of the Universal Truths. How's that sound? I think that sounds great because I'm looking at some of the topics you've got coming up and Social Security. That's almost an entire podcast itself. Getting an estate plan, knowing your credit score and how to fix it. Mike, you've got a lot of rich, rich topics here yet to cover. We'll, we'll cover those and we'll call it part two, the universal truth part two. So bottom line for the listeners out there, when, when you're making financial decisions, it's critical that you consult with professionals that are qualified to help. Because as we've talked about, there are so many components to a wealth plan and there's so many different products and investments and strategies that are out there that it's simply in your best interest to engage with a financial advisor that knows what they're doing, not your brother-in-law, <laughs> before trying to do it on your own. That said, if you or a loved one need some help or some guidance with regards to your own financial wealth plan, or you're simply interested in learning more about my practice, just go ahead and reach out by calling 724-933-4446. You can also email me at michael.dukovich at rbc.com, and that's D-U-K-O-V-I-C-H, or you can visit my website at michaeldukovich.com. Now, listen, I'm looking to work with people that understand you shouldn't be doing it alone. People who value the plan and people that recognize that life's greatest returns are only realized when you invest beyond your money. So remember, it's your money, it's your life. Take control. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Your Money podcast with financial advisor, Mike Dukovich. Make sure you click the subscribe button now so you will be notified when new podcasts are released. If you want to know more about working with Mike, please call 724 933 4446 or visit michaeldukovich.com it's your money it's your life take control the studies referenced in today's podcast were the bankrate financial security index survey from 2019 and the plants in healthcare environments by erja rapp and lena linden out of the university of helsinki in 2004 the information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of RBC Wealth Management. All opinions and estimates constitute the speaker's judgment as of the date of this recording and are subject to change without notice and are provided in good faith but without legal responsibility. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial services provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. RBC Wealth Management does not provide tax or legal advice. All decisions regarding the tax or legal implications of your investment should be made in connection with your independent tax or legal advisor. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. 
It is not possible to invest directly in an index. Investment and insurance products offered through RBC Wealth Management are not insured by the FDIC or any other federal government agency, are not deposits or other obligations of or guaranteed by a bank or any bank affiliate, and are subject to investment risks, including the possible loss of the principal amount invested. RBC Wealth Management is a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, and SIPC.